Good morning, Servants Church. So go ahead and turn your Bibles or on your device to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read just the first section of this. I'll just read from verses 5 to verse 12, just for the sake of time, and then we'll go through it together. Uh, but before I read that and pray and we get into this, this is a, a picture of the back of a tapestry. Now, if you don't know what a tapestry is, there's another picture that shows you a famous tapestry called the Adoration of the Magi, getting close to Christmas. Maybe, maybe it's a little too early for Christmas, but there's a Christmas theme for you. Uh, so a tapestry, of course, is this very ornate rug. It was an art form that was really popular, still used today. And, and actually, if you've ever seen some of these um, really well-done tapestries, it's amazing the intricacy and how they actually get the skin tones and things on a rug. But if you only see the back of the tapestry, what do you see? You see this kind of mess, this mangled mess of string. And that's going to be important, what we're talking about today. So I want to read those first few verses of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. Follow with me, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it together. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when, the division, uh, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the bright, right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And Father, we pray as we continue going through Luke's gospel and we hear the story of, of how you brought a Savior, your Savior for us to the world. Uh, Lord, that we would be open-hearted to, to learn from those whom you used to bring the Savior to us. That we would be those that are open to see the work that you've already began, even if we're not yet Believers, God, would you open our hearts to see how you are doing a work in us to bring us to yourself, even before we're interested. Lord, thank you so much that you go before us. Thank you so much that you're the one who initiates the work. And Lord, encourage us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, sometimes our lives feel like that picture of the back of the tapestry. There are certain aspects of beauty. There's some tones of color, but often they just feel like this kind of random, tangled mess of string. Colors that sometimes match and sometimes don't. And it just seems, it just seems well, even knotted up and difficult. And we think, is there really a pattern to this? Is there really a point to this? And we often, from this side of heaven, we only really see the back of the tapestry. But God sees what he's weaving together. God knows what he's doing before we ever have a clue that he's actually doing something. And we see that in this week's text. We see this in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. These two saints, these, these, these who are, or we will see are the parents of John the Baptist. And we see that God was doing something in them even before they knew what God's plan was for them. 
And this is often how it works for us. And so what I want to see is I want to use this text today as a way for us to see what does God do when he begins to work? What are the indications that God's working? Maybe that he's been at work and now that work's coming to the surface. And I, I think hopefully we'll see too how Luke is, is showing uh, his readers that this is God beginning a new work in his plan to save the world. So picking it up with me again at verse 5, we read already about uh, Zechariah. He is a priest. He's from uh, the, the, uh, the vision of Abijah, it says. Uh, he's, he's married to a daughter of Aaron. And if you remember, way back in the Old Testament, Aaron was the brother of Moses, and all the priests that God used were from the tribe of Aaron. And so what it says about them, Luke wants to make sure that we recognize something. He says very clearly, in fact, fairly detailed, he says that these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous before God and they were walking blamelessly before God. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. It means that their lives were orientated toward God. They, they, when it says walking blamelessly, keeping God's statutes, it doesn't mean that they never sinned or never broke God's law. It means when they broke God's law, they looked to God and according to God's law, did what was necessary to become right with God again i.e. doing the sacrifices. These were people who, plainly speaking, walked with God. They were blameless in their walks before God, and they suffered the pain of barrenness. Now, I, I do realize there may be some of you watching this morning that know something of that pain, and the last thing I want to do is, is make little of that or a simple side note. This is a serious issue. It's an incredibly painful thing that many couples go through, this pain of infertility. And in this culture, uh, in, in, in a first century culture, uh, both for Jew and Gentile, for a woman to be barren, unable to become pregnant, was more than just a broken heart. It was a, a potential for her to be ostracized by her family, to look down upon. In a Jewish context, it could be attending, God hasn't blessed you. And yet Luke wants to make sure we see, no, this isn't the case. These were righteous people. These were people whom God loved, whom God in his holy scripture has made sure there's an account of how faithful they actually were. And yet they suffered greatly. And this is often what we see in the scriptures. We see that often it's the righteous who are suffering away with stuff. But there's something else that we really want to see here. And that is, when God's doing a new work, here's what he often does. He often starts with a barren woman. A woman who can't, who, who's in a, in a state that is painful and lowly in the eyes of those around her. And she can't do anything about it. And God says, I want to start with you to do a new work that's going to bless my people. Now, we'll come back to that in a second. But also, see what it says about Zechariah. Because we don't want to miss what's going on in this detail. It says that here he is, he's serving as a priest before God uh, when his division was on duty. Now, you have to understand, there were 18,000 priests about the, in, during this time. And so these different tribes, these different families, uh, th their groups were called to, to serve in the temple probably twice a year. And so as a priest, he would maybe twice a year be going into the sort of, uh, or have been kind of on duty on his rotation of doing whatever duties fell there. But also within those duties those that he would do twice a year, there was maybe uh, once in a lifetime when he would be chosen to actually go into the temple during the daily offerings. 
And so, so here's, what, here's what Luke's recording to us. On this time, when he's at the kind of highlight of his career, Zechariah gets, it's, it's not just his, his time a couple times a year where he gets to go and serve God and serve God's people at the temple, but also this is a time when he actually gets to go into the very temple of God, the place where God's presence was meant to dwell, and he gets to do really a great offering. He gets to actually burn the, at the altar of incense. That is, he gets to take a, a bowl full of hot, some, some incense and take them into this altar of incense, a square box that would be in the holy place. And he gets to put in the hot coals and put in the incense. And as it burns up and, and, and the smell of the incense arises up and the smoke of the incense rises up, he begins to say prayers on behalf of the people of Israel. This is a huge thing. This is the Super Bowl. This is the World Cup for a, high, for a priest, that he actually gets to go there. Now, we know that these guys were godly people, and so there's a sense that where you think that here he's thinking, wow, I didn't think I'd ever get called. I didn't think the lot would fall on me. I didn't think God would choose me for such a privilege. And yet here I am as just one of 18,000 priests, and I get to go into the very temple of God. I wonder what his prayers were like in preparation. I wonder if he kind of took the time to write down what his prayers were going to be. But he, he, he goes in, okay, and this is supposed to be a time of like joyous wonder, just like in awe of the fact that he is this close to the presence of God. And so what happens though? As he's in there, what happens? It says he goes in there, all the people are praying outside, and there appears to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar, and Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. He is terrified, basically. A time when it's supposed to be full of joy, he sees this angel. This angel shows up, and he is terrified. He's thinking, what is going on? And I wonder if, if he felt disappointment or frustration or just plain fear. Maybe he thought, okay, God has chosen me. He has allowed me to go in, but then what's going to happen? Now, maybe he thinks he's going to be judged. Maybe he thinks, I, I'm, not, I'm not good after all. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it's important for us to see that what God is doing here, He's doing on purpose. He's utilizing Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's utilizing them. Why? Because there are those who have pushed through, they've prayed through, they've walked with God through hardships. They've gone through it. When God wants to do a new work, you know what He does first? He usually breaks down the people He wants to use. We're in a, in a, in a global pandemic. This is a tough time for us in the church, specifically the church in the West, I think is being exposed. How many things that we, we, we rely on that are just comforts for us, maybe not as necessary for worship as we thought, and other things that are very necessary for worship that we took for granted before. Don't understand what God's doing. Don't stop pushing through that hardship. God's wanting to do something here. In fact, it's important for us to recognize, uh, even if there wasn't a global pandemic going on, this idea of we're supposed to be God's people, we, we believe that we're right with God, and yet we still suffer and we still see so many injustices, something that every single person, believe it or not, has to wrestle through. I, I want to challenge you in something before I move on to our next point. I, I want to challenge you to think about something right now. What injustice is really testing your faith right now. When we talk about injustices or, or things that seem unfair, what pops into your mind? What's the thing that causes you to question, can you really trust this God? 
And I want to encourage you to do something. I want to challenge you to read Psalm 73. Let me just read two verses from it. Psalm 73 says, I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. How come, God, if I'm trying to follow after you, everything bad seems to be happening in my life, and they don't care about you at all, and they seem to prosper fine? That kind of frustration about injustice. So this is my challenge for you on this. Knowing that God wants to utilize those who, who walk through hardships, are you willing to sit down with someone today and read through Psalm 73? I, I know we have to socially distance. I know we have to isolate, but you can do this over uh, a, a message call, a video call. But just read together through Psalm 73. Share with that person, this is the hardship that stumbles me, and then seek God. Because guess what? That is God preparing you to be utilized by Him. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they did this, and we move it on to verse 13. What happens next? Okay, the, the, the angel showed up. Uh, Zechariah is terrified, and it says in verse 13, but the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Why John? Because it's a great name. That's why. <laughs> no, because it means God is gracious. That's why. And here's what's interesting, okay? The, the angel says to John, or says to Zechariah, listen, this son is going to be an answer to your prayers. And it's really true that just John, of course, is John the Baptist, and his birth would be an answer to, to Zechariah's prayers, both as a husband and as a priest. As a husband, you can imagine him, please, Lord, allow my wife to conceive. Please, Lord, help her to, to, to have my child. Please help us to extend our family line. Help her to be honored as someone who has a child. And as they got older, you wonder if he began to give up praying. But also as a faithful, godly priest, and that's what the Bible seems to indicate Zechariah was, he was praying for as all of Israel, God, please send your chosen king, your Christ, the Messiah. Send him so we can be delivered from this Roman occupation. Send him, please. And in those prayers, the prayers of Israel, the prayers of, of Zechariah, those prayers were heard by God, and God's answering those prayers in the birth of, of John. Not that John's going to be the chosen king, but as we'll see, John's going to point to the chosen king. In fact, the angel uh, who'll see, who will see is Gabriel. He expands and explains to Zechariah, here's going to be the ministry of your son, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And he will be great before the Lord, according to Luke 7, 28, greater than any other man born among women. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, I, I want you to know something. We're going to see this in Luke's gospel, and you see this definitely in the book of Acts, that Luke highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit through God's people. It's a really important thing. We'll talk more about this when we see more about John the Baptist and as we go through Luke's gospel. But, but the, the, the reality is, is that John's wanting, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Gabriel's wanting Zechariah to understand, listen, your son is going to be such a blessing to everyone in Israel. God's answering your prayer here. But also, listen, he talks about John's message in verse 16 and 17. He says, and John will turn many of the children of Israel to 
the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts, I'm sorry, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, notice, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You see, guys, this is what God does. This is what God does when he's beginning a new work. He prepares a people for himself. You see, when Gabriel comes and interrupts this high moment in Zechariah's life and says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. God's heard your prayers and explains the, the, how the birth of the son, this miraculous birth of his, his son, John, is going to, to lead all of Israel back to the, their God of Israel. He's telling us something about what God does with us. See, when God's wanting to do a fresh work, a new work in us, he doesn't just lead us into, here's the vision, here's what the ministry is going to look like. No, he doesn't do that. He says, come back to me. That's what he does. He says, come back to me. I love this because actually also what, what Luke is showing us and what the angel Gabriel is saying to Zechariah is he's saying, Zechariah, John, your son, is going to fulfill that prophetic ministry of Elijah that we read in the very last part of God's word uh, in the book of Malachi. Listen to this. Look, uh, Malachi writes, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord uh, arrives. He will, uh, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers and their children to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. In other words, when, when Malachi writes this, the, the, the children of Israel are in a really dark time in a bad place. And God says, even though you're running from me, I'm going to send a messenger who will turn you back to me. This is what God does. This is great news for us. This, this, this fact that John would preach this message, the fact that God would send somebody to preach this message, this is good news. Because even if you're in a place right now where you're listening to this, maybe you're one of those people that had just started to uh, tune in uh, during lockdown, during this COVID crisis. You, your, your interest is peaked about God and you're wondering, is this stuff really for me? And, and you're frustrated. You don't like this idea of repentance. That word repent, it sounds so harsh and judgmental. And John, we're going to see, that was his favorite word. He was constantly calling people to repentance. We'll see more about this in chapter three. But, but what we have to understand is this is part of God beginning to work in you. If you're running away from God and, and he sends someone to chase you down and say, turn back to God, that is God beginning to work. See, that is his grace. See, God's calling you back to himself as his grace. Now, lastly, in verses 18 to 25, what do we see? Zechariah says to the angel, after the angel says this to him, remember he's still in the temple now. He's still finished. He's, he's finished offering the incense that the angel's there talking to him. And, and, and Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And here's what the angel says. The angels answered him, well, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to you. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, we can all relate to Zechariah in saying that, in the sense saying like he sees his own limitations. We do that, don't we? Even when we begin to think, yeah, I, I do need change in my life, but I just can't do it. I see my own limitations. We still do this. But this is what Gabriel says. Gabriel says, you know, you're thinking about you, but I'm speaking for God. <laughs> this is what God is promising you to do. He's saying he's going to do this for you. 
This is important for us to recognize. In fact, if we look at verse 20, we see that the angel says, hey, there's consequences when we refuse to believe what God says. He says, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled, will, will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when they came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. You can imagine seeing this. It's almost kind of comical. Here he comes. This is his big career day, right? He comes out. He's been in there for a long time. They're wondering what's going on. The people that are kind of outside the temple area, praying with him, wondering what's going to, what, if he receives something from God, he comes out and he can't talk. He's just playing charades with them, you know, trying to explain to him what he's seeing. And so what happens here? What happens here? is that he, Zechariah, loses an opportunity to speak as the priest. He has a chance to come and say, here's what the Lord would say to you. Maybe he, God gives him a prophetic word or, or maybe just an exhortation to God's people to press on, to know that they can celebrate God has received that morning or evening sacrifice. But instead he comes out and he can't speak. Now here's what I love about this though, okay? He loses an opportunity but to, to speak about what God's going to do, but guess what? God's promise still remains. I love this. Because even when we don't believe like we should believe, God is still faithful. He still pushes his promise forward. So what happens? Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus, says the, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So, so I love this. You know, Zechariah had enough faith to go home and, and, uh, and be intimate with his wife. <laughs> he had enough faith to go home and think, okay, well, let's see what God can do. Can't talk, but we'll see what God can do. And what happens? Elizabeth conceives. And as was often the custom, they wouldn't kind of make that known for several months. But she's several months, five months, she's probably beginning to show. And she's saying, Lord, you've been so good. You've been so good. You've fulfilled this. She gives God all the glory. Now, th this is great because in Luke sharing this, in Luke doing what the other gospel writers haven't done and telling us some of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and bringing this out, what he's doing is he's trying to say, listen, God is doing a new work and he's doing it just like he's done it before. We see this pattern throughout all the Old Testament. When God wants to start a new work, he starts with a barren woman and he calls that woman to trust and he brings a supernatural conception so that, listen, so that people will know he himself, God himself is doing the work. God's doing the work. The, the most famous, of course, of this would be Abraham's wife, Sarah. And, and, and in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, here's what we read about Sarah. Listen to this. By faith, Sarah herself conceived, or I'm sorry, received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since, notice, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Do you see what's going on here? When God does a new work, he makes promises that he keeps according to his character. See, God makes promises to us not based on how much faith we have to believe those promises. He makes promises based on how good he is and faithful he is to fulfill those promises. His character, 
He keeps those promises in His character. Luke wants us to see this. The Holy Spirit today wants us to see this. So let me bring you guys another challenge, how we can walk in this, okay? I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. First, I want to challenge you to continue this New Testament reading plan that we mentioned last week. I hope you started that this last week, where you read one chapter of the New Testament every day, and in, uh, in less than, you only have to do that five days a week, and in less than a year, you have read through the whole New Testament. Our, our church... Uh, Bible reading plan is, is based on that. There's also some Old Testament readings as well. You can get that from our website. Five days a week, reading one chapter of the, Old Test, or the New Testament, you get through the whole New Testament. But with that, also asking the questions, what does this tell me about uh, the trustworthiness of Jesus? I'm probably saying that exactly wrong, but you know what I'm saying. And, and how, what would it look like for me to trust this Jesus today? Just asking those two simple questions. So I'm going to ask you to continue to do this. Look at the promises that we have in Jesus because the scripture says that all the promises in Christ of God are in Christ. Yes and amen. So, so look at that. But also I want to encourage you some, to do something else. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you, when we talk about God and the goodness of God and even say that, that what we know about God is what we see through Jesus, maybe it's still hard to get your head around what God is like. It's hard for you to kind of grasp what his character is, so you can put your trust in his character. Well, let me encourage you to do something else. Consider reading a book, maybe even with some friends. You guys can have a book club where you read through a book about the attributes of God. I'm going to recommend two, one of two books that you can read. Well, one is a book called None Like Him by a woman named Jen Wilkins. And I haven't read this book, but my wife Sarah read this book, and she said it was phenomenal. I've heard really great things about this book. It's just, read, uh, just written a couple of years ago, so the language is going to be up to date. The tone's going to be familiar. I really encourage you to read this book. It's on, it's on my pile of books I want to read. Another book is a classic book that, that many people have read. It's about 70 years old by men in A.W. Tozer. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. Again, it's about the attributes of God, the character of God. What a great book for you guys. A lot of these books come with very small chapters. What a great thing for two or three or four or whatever, uh, people getting together over, over social media, over Zoom or something, having read the book, coming back together and say, what'd you get out of the first chapter? And just talking about the God we serve, the God who's revealed himself in Scripture through the person of Jesus Christ. Think about his character. And this is why this is important. Listen, because in the same way that God kept his promise to Zechariah, for the benefit of his people, in the same way God keeps his promises that he's made to the people of Scripture for the benefit of us. And we know that he keeps his promises because of the God that he is, because of his character. When God does a work, he makes promises that he keeps according to his character. So, so from what we've talked about today, do you think God's doing a work in your life? Oh, I'm not asking you, are you responding right or not responding right yet? Just, is God doing a work in your life? Do you see the fact that you're even here listening to this message is evidence that God wants you to know Him? That He's been started this work way before you were even interested in it. If you see that, then respond to Him. Respond to who He is. Draw close to Him. And, and if you think, I don't know what to do. I, I've never done this before. I don't know where to start. Here's where we always need to begin and end. We start with the person of Jesus. See, the Bible says plainly, as we'll see as we go through Luke's gospel, that God sent Jesus to die for us. 
that the judgment we should receive because we've rebelled against God and ignore God, God put that judgment on himself in the person of Jesus Christ so that God could take us who were his enemies and make us not just his friends, but his dear children. That we would be saved through his death and resurrection from the dead. We would be able to be with him forever, have a relationship that begins now and lasts forever. This is what God wants for you. This is why we can be confident that God wants relationship with us because he loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for us. Seek after him today. He really does want to know you. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that you do want to know us. And we pray, Lord, that you, we would recognize this new work you're doing in, in our hearts, the work you've done in all your people for all human history. Help us to see that we are just part of that big family, that part of that big plan of you bringing people back to yourself. Help us to respond to you, Lord. Help us to seek you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Hope to see you soon.